Hello, everybody. It has been a very long time since I released a podcast. Several months, four months, maybe. And a lot has gone on in that time. Just trying to keep the channel afloat with all the hullabaloo surrounding Pornhub and the Times and the credit card companies, etc. You can look forward to new episodes of the podcast. Uh, We're going to start the next season. Hopefully, I'll have that up this week. In the meantime... Please enjoy part two of the Katja interview that I released as our last podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. I've had a lot of requests that I post the second part of that, and it's good. There's a lot of good information, um, some relationship and poly and BDSM, DS style advice as well. I hope to get back soon, and I appreciate your patience. Enjoy the episode. So yeah, just have your safety in mind. Be safe out there. Make sure that you are serious about your safety. If you are playing with anybody that, you know, doesn't take that seriously or thinks that you're being overly cautious or thinks that you don't trust them because you want a safety call, those are all red flags. And so I wanted to ask you, though, again, you've had mostly good experiences. What would you consider this isn't going well on a BDSM type date. Honestly, the only, I really haven't had a lot of bad experiences except just like, oh, I have no chemistry with this person, right? Like that's my version of bad date has been, I don't have chemistry with them, so I don't want to see them again. It's kind of where I thought that was going to go. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try that again. (laughs) So we had talked about this a bit earlier, and that was the fact that the vanilla world in general has a hard time accepting what we do as healthy, Mm -hmm. has a hard time accepting what we do as anything other than some kind of perversion. And that goes all the way from mild submission to full on being tied up and flogged at your own will. So talk about how the role of consent to be dominated Mm works with you both in a sexual way and in your personality in general because you're you're an accomplished person you're your own boss in the real world you don't need someone to tell you what to do you know getting up in the morning Mm -hmm. but you do seem to enjoy that power exchange sure yeah well for me power exchange is my number one kink right so when when people you know people in the scene especially if i when i was dating and i was dating people who i knew were kinky um and they would ask me like guys would ask me what i'm into as if i i could like give them a list of like these are the activities that really turn me on but that's just not really how it works for me at all for me, the power exchange is the kink, and I don't care a whole lot <laughs> what the person I'm in a BDSM relationship does to me. I mean, obviously, obviously, I have certain things that I enjoy a whole lot, and we have an entire porn genre around one of them, right? But like, but for me, the kink, the thing that I'm really getting off on is the power exchange. Yeah, I mean, I find it very deeply both emotionally and sexually fulfilling to be controlled and possessed. Um, It gives me a sense of peace and of being wanted, right? Because like, who could want you more than somebody who actually wants to own you? (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, in terms of everyday life, 
you know, it is helpful to have somebody to hold you accountable for all of the things that everybody is always on themselves about, you know, procrastination and not sticking to their diet. I mean, it's practically very helpful. And it also just serves to reinforce this power exchange dynamic we have and the fact that we are long distance. And so it's a way to, um, to get to kind of feel his presence in my life every single day because I know I'm being held accountable for a lot of things in my life. Can you explain the difference between someone who has domination over you mm -hmm. in a self-interested way and a sub-interested way? So, for example, I have a friend who I used to be play partners with, and I still really like him as a friend, but we were just completely incompatible in a BDSM way um, because he's very sadistic. And while we had enough kink overlap that the first few times we played together, we were able to have a lot of fun. It just couldn't ever get past that point because he was just much more into, he was just playing more into inflicting pain and humiliation for the sake of pain and humiliation and not in the furtherance of a deepening of an emotional dom sub relationship, right? So for example, what we do, obviously we do all this panel, right? And it's one of my favorite things to do, and, but with him, right? I'm not gonna do it with anybody else, but the way it works for me is that when we do that, so my number one kink really is to just give myself to him so completely by doing this thing that is physically pleasurable to him while being unpleasurable to me. That feels like it's almost a self-sacrifice for somebody I love. And it, it feels very much like ownership to me. It feels very much like, like who on, like there is no question in, in my mind at that moment when he's inside me and he's doing this thing that hurts and it's on some level humiliating, like there's just no doubt in my mind that this person owns me completely. And that is just a wonderful feeling for me. And it's completely different than, than playing with this friend of mine who, you know, I had been, had been driving to get to his house and it was kind of up a mountain and it was raining and the drive was scary. And when I got there, the first thing he, like, there was no, like, looking like, oh, yeah, you've just had this really bad experience and let's kind of get you into a relaxed, good place where we can share a connection, right? It was like immediately wanting to strip me naked. It was freezing rain, right? So it's like in the 30s. It was immediately wanting to strip me naked and put me out on his porch to suck his cock in the freezing rain. Um, that was the last time we ever played together. <laughs> that was not giving me that emotional power exchange at all. That was just plain. It was only about his gratification and that was it. And while I still actually very much like this person as a friend and I've maintained a friendship with him, that was kind of the nail in the coffin for like, we do not have the necessary kink compatibility to, to be play partners anymore so the interesting thing about that that means that it didn't work for you right and i've certainly known situations where for another person sure 
that would have been like the hottest thing ever for them. Sure, sure. Like they would have, the way that their particular sub makeup was, was that they'd retell that story and be like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like he truly didn't care about me. He just wanted this for himself and that turned me on. Well, and it depends too on what your underlying relationship is, right? Because if you had done that, it would not have had the same reaction, right? But only because you know I have your interest at heart. Yeah, because we have that underlying we have that underlying relationship and that underlying emotional connection where I know that at the end at the, the bottom line, at the end of the day, we're doing this hot thing together and then you're gonna like wrap me in a blanket and make me waffles. Maybe. <laughs> so this is this is interesting, and this is where the individual dynamic of each of each BDSM, each DS relationship is in that I do tend to find myself kind of restraining your more impulsive, wilder whims. Mm -hmm. Like you tend to want to go more extreme than I do. And I know that in certain aspects of our play, what has turned you on was the feeling that I did not have regard for your well-being and safety. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Where you felt like you were going to do this thing no matter what I had to say about it. And that was so hot. Yes. But perhaps that is foundationally built upon the fact that you do know that I care about you. That's absolutely 100% true. And I think this is something we were talking about recently, where after a BDSM relationship where I was kind of classified as a slave, I I retitled myself on my FetLife profile as a pet. And the reason for that is because while I very much want this ownership dynamic... I need to feel loved and cherished. And I I absolutely love the extreme play and I love being used for you. Like, I love it. But I also need to know that I'm loved and safe at the end of the day. But that's you. That is me. Again, that really is (laughs) the way that you're made up. Yeah. And I guess what I'm trying to emphasize in this is that there are certainly relationships out there where that type of humiliation or degradation or whatever that particular kink is, is what they're searching for. And if they find someone that can deliver that for them, that's great. And that's a good match. So it really comes down to what are you looking for? What satisfies you in your BDSM relationship? And what I found is just like in vanilla dating, being with someone who's willing to bend and shift and and accommodate you is great, but you can't necessarily ask them to do a 180 on who they are and what they like. So, you know, Katya and I are very compatible in the way that we do BDSM. What I'm looking for in a sub is what she's looking for in her subservience. And so it fits really well. Have we had to accommodate different styles and needs and wants, et cetera? Absolutely. But for example, you know, I don't really do brat play. Um, And so trying to make Katja into a brat so that I'm fulfilled in my BDSM role wouldn't work. It's not really her style. It's not who she is. And, you know, likewise, if she really needed someone who was really into sadism and could really take joy in that type of play, she's with the wrong dom. It's not, it's not my kink. It's not where I lie. So, you know, I'm in my mid forties. Kachi is eternally 23, (laughs) but sometimes it can take a while. And we both had a lot of BDSM relationships. We found ourselves in a very 
good and successful and stable one, you know, later in life, I would expect that most of the time you're going to move through different BDSM relationships as you grow and as you get older, as you move around the country, try and find out someone that works for you. You know, as I'm, as I'm talking about how we met, how we got together, how we found each other, how we ended up linking our kinks together. You know, I've had a lot of DS relationships. Some of them lasted quite some time. Some of them were fairly short. None of them ended badly. None of them ended in a way that was a disaster, whereas I've had definitely vanilla relationships not end well at all. I think it's because I put so much care into and I have so much control over my BDSM relationships. You know, being the the power side of the power exchange, it really is up to me. And I, I set the course and I make sure that I don't enter into a relationship with someone whom I don't think it will work out with. So with Katja and I, it was not a question of, is this a good fit? I think we both knew fairly early on that we definitely gelled together in a BDSM way. Our biggest problem and continues to be is that we live in different parts of the country. And a long distance relationship in the BDSM world is every bit as challenging as the vanilla world. In some ways more so. Um, so my biggest question when we got together was, yeah, I like this person. I'm attracted to this person. We seem to fit very well BDSM kink wise. Will we be able to sustain a relationship long term over a distance where we only see each other once a month, sometimes once every other month? And we had many discussions about that. We decided that we would give it a try and, you know, set a year goal and talk about it after a year. After a year, we still hadn't decided. I hadn't decided. I think Katya was ready to go from, from day one. But I still didn't know if it was going to work. Um, we had to work through some interpersonal stuff with other relationships that we've had. Uh, we'll get into more of that in the poly discussion. At a certain point, I realized that, no, this is a good thing. I have to make a decision on this one way or the other. I can't keep this person in limbo forever. And so, you know, earlier this year... I invited Katya to become a formal member of my household. And I, I, I like to play in a very formal way. Not everybody is as rigid in their structure as I am. But up until that point, Katya had been a probationary member. And then she made the switch over into a formal member of my household, which she is now. You know, that ups the stakes for me. That it's very much the only analogy I can do to the straight world is we were engaged and now we're married. Now, obviously, there's no unholy priest that blessed our union. But for me, when someone becomes a formal member of my household, that is a permanent commitment. That is not something to be taken lightly. That is not something that can be, you know, waved away with a hand like most relationships that aren't bound by law are. So that was a big step for us. And it's a step that I'm very happy with. I think that we are well-suited to be a good long-term BDSM couple. Um, and there's no expiration on that agreement we've made. Like, it's going forward. But that's, you know, how we play. You don't have to be nearly so formal in your BDSM relationships. I guess what I wanted to wrap this all up with as Katya had a certain need and a certain criteria for what she was looking for in a dom. 
I have a certain need and a certain criteria for what I'm looking for in a sub. And I don't think either of us were willing to settle for almost there. You know, you date, you experiment, you try it out, you be with someone, and for whatever reason, all the pieces don't fit. That's okay. Keep looking. Keep your eyes open. Keep trying until you find that good thing that really fits well with you. And in this particular situation, I think Katja and I have found a really good thing. The way that our relationship is based, it's it's predicated on a poly relationship. So I have other partners. Katja is certainly allowed to have other partners. <laughs> She's not terribly interested in having other partners. Though she does have a girlfriend that we will perhaps talk about and maybe bring into this discussion at some point. Keep those questions coming. Keep those comments coming. I'm going to read a bit from the mailbag while Katja's here and see if she has something to say about that. And you can reach out to us through Instagram or Twitter or Pornhub or my email, uh, whatever's comfortable. It can be a little confusing for me as sometimes people reach out over multiple platforms and have different usernames. So don't feel bad if I act like I don't know who you are and what you're talking about. If you have jumped platforms and suddenly I don't recognize you. Um, someone wrote me on Instagram and they asked to be anonymous on this one. And they say, I've been trying to research, but I can't seem to find much info. I feel like you're knowledgeable with a lot of experience in the BDSM community. Thank you. I'm not sure how to articulate this. Have you known a lot of submissives to have suffered sexual trauma in the past? I guess I'm wondering if it's normal. I feel wrong, like the things that happened to me as a kid should make me not want to be held down and choked or dominated. I feel pretty fucked up that I enjoy those things now. My husband doesn't know about my experiences. With the recent mask wearing, I've had a couple panic attacks, so I'm worried that it may come out. I've never told anyone. I'm afraid if I tell him, he won't feel comfortable doing the things that I like, and I don't want to mess that up. So are you aware if this is a common correlation? Also, as a dom, would it bother you if you knew your sub had experienced trauma in a similar way to the way that you would play with her? Or could you point me in a trusted direction for information? So yeah, I'm, there's a lot to unpack there. And we had discussed that a bit earlier. That, that's the message that I was thinking about when I asked Katja. I have certainly known subs that have suffered some sort of sexual trauma. And sometimes that manifests itself in them saying, hey, I don't want you to put your hands on my neck, to which obviously I'm going to respect that. When people have hard limits like that, you know, that's not an invitation to push on that button. You respect that. As a dom, I may work through them with that at some point and talk to them about that. And we may try and make that something they're not triggered by. But if it does trigger them, I'm not going to do that without their permission. Or if they say, hey, I really like what we did, but I don't like it when you pull my hair. Like those are things that you should absolutely discuss with whoever you're playing with at any time and have those discussions, preferably ahead of time. Do I know other subs that, you know, they have experienced some sort of sexual trauma and it still turns them on? Absolutely. And as I said before, you know, being hugged by someone who has your consent to hug them feels amazing. Being hugged by a stranger who you don't want to hug you can feel terrible. And there's no difference here. You know, 
being handled roughly by someone because that turns you on and you're okay with that and you've given them permission to do that, you've given them your consent, that can be fun and exciting and thrilling and exactly what turns you on. The opposite is nobody wants that if it's non-consensual and that consent is key. So if you are someone that have had some sort of sexual trauma and you still enjoy rough play or, you know, things that are directly correlated with your sexual trauma, no, there's nothing wrong with you. In the exact same breath, if having experienced some sort of sexual trauma makes you not want to be handled roughly or have someone's hands on your throat, etc., that is also absolutely fine. It's going to affect everybody differently. Only you know what's good for you. Only you know what's right for you. Don't let anybody push you to do something that is uncomfortable based on your sexual history. And at the same time, don't feel weird and awkward and bad if you enjoy something now that was at one point traumatic to you. Um, second part of that question is, would I feel comfortable? Absolutely. But I'd want to know ahead of time. And I do have a fairly extensive period of kind of feeling out. And I do have, you know, like a, a sheet, like a questionnaire saying, do you like having hands on your throat? Do you like having your hair pulled? Do you like this type of play? Because halfway through a scene is not the time to find out that someone doesn't like breath play or that they get really freaked out by having their eyes covered, for example. I want to know that going into it. When I play with someone, especially when I play with a new person, I absolutely adhere to those check sheets. You know, if I know that they don't like having hands on their throat, I don't go anywhere near their throat because it's not my job to, you know, aversion therapy them out of that thing. Now, at some point in an actual established BDSM relationship, will I talk to them about that and say, hey, do you want to try to work through this? Do you want to, in a safe and trusted environment, have me do this to you and see if it still affects you? Or do you want to try this kind of play? Again, if their answer is no, then that's no. I'm very respectful of people's boundaries in that. I've also learned through a lot of play that what is completely off limits and uncomfortable with a stranger, with a, someone who you are just starting to play with, once you've established trust, once you've established that you will take care of that person, that they are safe with you, that you can push boundaries you wouldn't normally push, a lot of times even things that were once bright red flags become tolerable and go from tolerable to enjoyable. Not all the time. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with you if you can't get over something like that. Sometimes these triggers are so sensitive that even the thought of them can put you into a bad place, let alone the actuality of them. I'm just saying that it's certainly something you can work through with a dom. It's certainly something you can work through with a sub. It's certainly something that a dom or a sub needs to respect and pay attention to. It's serious stuff. Don't feel weird that something that once happened that was bad to you now turns you on. There's nothing wrong with that. So... I guess the the part that in the letter that stood out more to me was the end about whether she should tell her husband, who it sounds like is also her dom, although I don't know how formal that is or if it's just, you know, sometimes in the bedroom they play, that kind of thing. Um, 
I think you have to, right? And I know it's hard. And I know, I definitely know the feeling of like not wanting to tell your dom something because it might affect what he does. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, just just think about the kind of relationship you want to have with him, right? And like, if what you want to have with this person is a, you know, whether we're talking about just like a vanilla romantic relationship, or especially if what we want is a, um, you know, a, a, a deep DS relationship, like it's just, it's not possible if you hold back things like that, that are so important and fundamental to your life experiences. So that's definitely the way that we play. Right. I mean, I, I have a very absolute open and honest policy with my subs, preferably with all my partners, but specifically with my subs, there are no secrets. There are no areas of their life that are allowed to be secret. It can be much more difficult in a peer to peer relationship. Mm -hmm. And while in my personal opinion, absolute honesty between partners is something that is the goal. Like I think that very few problems can't be solved by being open and transparent with your partner. Unfortunately, that is the ideal. And I think that some people certainly exist in a realm where sure they would like to be open with their partner, but for whatever reason, and sometimes these are very good reasons, they don't feel like they can be open with their partner. And so with something like a traumatic sexual event, that is one of the more difficult ones because I think you can never really tell how a partner is going to react. Mm. You know, are they going to be super supportive of you? Hopefully, yeah. Are they going to not want to do that kind of play with you? So I think that's what she was worried about is right, that right. if I tell my husband that I had this bad thing happen, he's not going to want to play with me in this way anymore. The thing is, is that's actually a fairly credible fear. Right. Like he may not want to do that. He may, what was kind of fun for you guys to do, and it does seem like more of kind of a casual rough play relationship than a, an actual DS relationship. What may have been kind of fun and exciting for them, you know, pushing the boundaries a little taboo. Now that may take some very difficult overtones. Right. So I really can't, I I can't give you good advice on whether or not you should tell your partner. You have to really feel that out. Personally, I like to be open. I like to have things on the table. I like to be completely open. But as I've learned at my cost through many relationships, sometimes people don't react well to you being open. And sometimes you have to balance, you know, this is a really good relationship. However, this particular nugget of information could turn the tide. This could make it into a not good relationship. I really don't know what to, to say on this one. I'd have to know you both a lot better, like in a personal sense. As I've talked about in a past episode about, you know, one person in a relationship is kinky and one person is not. And people frequently ask me about that. You know, I'm really kinky. My partner isn't. How do I get them into the kink lifestyle? And that can be very tricky because for some people it's a huge turnoff and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And now it's on the table. You, you've told them I'm super kinky and I want you to be. And they're like, no, thank you. Sometimes what you can do is distance yourself from the question a bit. So I can be like, 
hey, it's like, you know, what do you think about like kinky stuff? Have you ever done any kind of kinky stuff? There's a bit of ambiguity to that question, right? She may come back with, oh no, like I, no, that's not my thing. And in which case I can be like, I know, right? Like, can you imagine that people do that kind of thing? <laughs> Where, you know, I'm, I'm backpedaling a little bit and, and getting out of that conversation. Whereas, you know, she may come back with, oh yeah, well, yeah, I tried it with this one guy, but I really didn't like it, et cetera. It, it makes it more of an abstraction than when you say, I'm kinky and I want you to choke me. <laughs> Like that puts your partner in a situation where they've only got, you know, two choices. They can either be like, sure, I'll do this. Or they can be like, no, I do not want to do that. And now I've unleashed this upon our unsuspecting relationship. And now what do we do? I mentioned this in this context where maybe the writer can sidelong into this kind of conversation. Approaching the subject obliquely. Approaching the subject of, you know... Do you know anybody that has dealt with this kind of thing? Has this ever been something in a relationship you've had? Perhaps to kind of get a feel for them and how they feel about this kind of situation and issue. Um, you know, it'd be lovely if I could just say, oh yeah, always be honest 100% of the time. Tell your partner everything. You know, have no secrets. That's ideal. That's how I want to live my life. That's how I try to live my life. But... In the end, we live in the real world, and sometimes we have secrets for a reason, and we have to be judicious about what we tell people. So keep reaching out. Let us know if, if there's anything I can help with. Remember that I'm just a guy that makes porn online. You know, <laughs> my level of expertise in relationships, in some things I've got good advice, and other things I just don't know what I'm doing. This is a situation where you know, I think even angels fear to tread on whether or not it's good to tell them. Um, I guess I would say that if you have a hesitation, if there's something about you that makes me think I maybe shouldn't tell my partner, that is probably there for a reason. And I would say that because I've often tried to explain my concept on honesty being that sometimes people aren't deserving of your honesty. If you're continually being punished for your honesty with them, then maybe they don't deserve your honesty. And if you want your partner to be honest with you on the converse side of that, don't punish them for being honest with you. Even if what they're telling you is upsetting, even if what they're telling you is difficult to hear, even if what they're telling you is, you know, infuriating sometimes, if you want them to keep being honest with you, you have to control yourself and be magnanimous and be accepting and be open to their honesty. Because if they're honest with you and you explode to them, what you're teaching them is, okay, don't be honest with this person. Don't tell them the truth. And this is something that goes all the way back to parenting 101, you know, with your kids, encourage honesty by not punishing them for being honest. The same thing is true in an adult relationship. If you want your partner to be honest and they're honest with you, make them feel safe, make them feel understood, make them feel, you know, that they can come to you with anything if you want them to come to you with anything. In this situation, I would say that the hesitancy to come forward and say, this is how I feel 
is probably predicated on them having an experience in another way that made them feel less than safe being honest. So that's my, my thought on that. Whew, that's a tough one. In a less, less heavy subject, um, someone wrote me and asked me, are you a porn star? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a star. That seems a little less than humble. I am a porn actor, and this is what I do for a living. Um, I responded, kind of, yes. And they responded, have you made any porn video? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I have many of them. Um, I'm not entirely sure where some of these questions come from, but my life is more entertaining because of them. So, and the last question for this week comes from a lovely Asian girl. And she asks, Hello, we are a fan of your channel. We especially love your Wicked Wednesdays videos as they are very informative and they have helped us when we are deciding what to do with our channel. Some of our scenes were even inspired by you. We just wanted to say thank you and ask a question that you may hopefully answer in one of your next videos if you haven't answered already. How do you determine what to put up for sale or free and how do you determine the price for your sale things, i.e. pictures, videos, fan club, etc.? And if you wouldn't mind, whenever you have free time, we would love for you to watch one of our videos and give us some honest critique on it. We would really appreciate the feedback. Thank you and tell Ruby that she is beautiful. I will do that. So we have a pattern that's been working for us. And that is we shoot a full length video. I tend to shoot for 15 to 20 minutes at least for a full length video. I then take that and I edit it down to a five minute version. Five minutes seems like plenty of time for a free video. I try to balance the amount of good stuff that's in the free video versus the paid video. I don't try to put every great thing in the free version. Otherwise, why buy the paid version? Um, it's kind of like when you see a trailer for a movie and you see every great scene in the trailer and then you go see the movie and you realize that, oh yeah, every great scene is I've already seen. I've seen the movie already. Why did I pay 20 bucks to go see the full thing? I try to do the same. I try to put enough good material in the free version to make people want to see more so that they want to see, oh, I want to see what else happened in this video. If there's 15 minutes of it, I want to see that. You know, for us, 90% of the people that view that free version are satisfied with it and they don't pay for the full version. And that's fine. We have to balance our free content with our paid content. Fortunately, enough people like the free version that they then say, okay, yeah, I need to see the rest of this video. This video turned me on so much that I want to see the full 15 minute version. And then they pay for it. Setting that price. We actually experimented once back before they started doing the coupon system. You could discount videos. You can still discount them whenever you want. I was curious, will people pay 10 bucks? Will they pay 20 bucks? You know, how many more people will pay 10 bucks than 20 bucks? And so throughout a month, I would vary it. One week I would have a video on sale for $10 and the next week it was a full $20 price. And I think what I realized was that 
there are thresholds for people to buy it. A certain number of people will buy at $10 that won't buy at $20. So what's better, to sell 10 copies at $10 or five copies at $20? You know, you end up with the same amount of money at the end of the day. And so what I found is I try to meet all those price points. There are certain people who have no problem paying 20 bucks for a video. You know, they pay it. I'm probably leaving some money on the table because some of those people would pay more than 20. But for us, 20 is as high as we go. And we do 20 for a video that I think is really good. That is, you know, fairly lengthy, 15 to 20 minutes. I want people to get what they're paying for. And I think they'll pay it. If I put a video out for 20 bucks and just nobody is buying it, because you have at the end of the month, you have a, a sales breakdown of every single video you've sold. And if I notice that I have a video that is just not selling at 20 bucks, I will then discount it. You know, maybe it'll sell at 10 bucks. I'd rather have it sell at 10 bucks than never sell at 20 bucks. You know, once we've made it, it's made. What I found is, is that for the most part, people are willing to pay that 20 bucks for a full length video. Some people aren't willing to pay 10 bucks. Some people aren't willing to pay five bucks. But enough people at every level will buy. So what I would recommend, make a full length video, put it up for sale for 20 bucks, make a five minute version. That is the trailer. And you can link in Pornhub, you can link from your trailer version to your paid version, and there'll be an ad run at the bottom of your trailer video and see what happens. See how many people buy it at $20. And then at some point during the month, put it on sale, do a 50% off, see how many people buy it at $10. I think it has to be very individual. I think it has to be not just individual porn stars, but individual videos. Some videos just won't sell at a $20 price point. So experiment. It's better to be selling videos than to not be selling them. We don't have a product cost. You know, our widget doesn't cost $10 to make. If I sell a video for 99 cents, I'm essentially making a profit on it. And I'd rather sell 50 videos at 99 cents than never have it sell at 50 bucks. So we do have to balance that. And the only thing I can say is see what your fan base is willing to pay. Um, I still haven't mastered the fan club thing. So I'm the last person to get advice from on that. Um, we are trying to figure out ways to make it worthwhile. I've asked my fan club specifically, you know, what do you want to see? What would you like? I've been trying to push out fan only videos on occasion that are, you know, the full version of our premium videos. That seems to get some play, but nobody's written me back. Yeah, I don't know how to work the fan club angle. Somebody else, find someone that has a very successful fan club and ask them, as I'm not the guy. But sales-wise, we do very well. And that has just been a matter of trial and error, experimenting, seeing what price people will pay, keeping track over time, you know, this video has been selling really well, but now the sales are starting to dip. Well, maybe it's time to put it up for sale for half price and see if that brings the numbers back up. I hope that answers your question. Um, do check out their videos. They seem really good. I enjoy them anyway. I will certainly tell Ruby that you think she's lovely. She is. 
And that will wrap it up for this week of Wicked Wednesdays. Look forward to another in the series of model interview Kacha videos. <laughs> We're going to talk about our poly lifestyle. We're going to talk about how she got into this porn thing with me and how that's affected her life. And if you have any questions specifically for Katya, Instagram, Twitter, Pornhub, email, just get them to me. I'll make sure that she gets them and maybe she can answer some of your individual questions on the next video. Absolutely. Until then, be safe, push that envelope, but don't break it. And I'll see you next week. Still your girlfriend. <laughs>